Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 35 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and if this is your first time hearing the show, the premise behind the podcast is that each episode, we look at a Superman and Batman story from throughout the years. Many of these are chosen from the pages of World's Finest Comics, where the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight teamed up for more than 30 years, but along the way we've also looked at team-ups from other comics and continuities and other mediums, including the pair's first teaming on radio. Basically, anything that teams the two greatest heroes in comics is fair game. Now, normally I'm all by myself on these episodes, but this time I am joined by a special guest. So before I go any further, let me introduce my co-host for this episode, Mr. J. David Weeder. Hello. I am glad to be here tonight. I haven't talked Superman in a while. Yeah. Uh, and now you get to talk about Superman and Batman. So Yes. <laughs> well, kind of. Eh, yeah, kind of. Now, part of the reason I invited Dave on for this episode is while 2014 is the 75th anniversary of the first appearance of Batman in Detective Comics number 27... What a lot of people have overlooked is that 2014 also is the 70th anniversary of the first appearance of Superboy in More Fun Comics number 101. Um, even though that issue had a 1945 cover date, it was released in, I believe, November of 1944. Um, in fact, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it was released exactly 70 years ago, the week that this episode is hopefully going to be released. So... I thought there'd be no better way to celebrate the birthdays of both characters than by kicking Superman out the door and looking at a team-up between the Earth-1 versions of Batman and Superboy. And I know what you're thinking. How can Superboy and Batman team up when they existed decades apart? Well, hang tight, dear listener, as all will be revealed as Dave and I are going to turn our attention to The Brave and the Bold, number 192. All year, I've been planning to do something on the show to mark Superboy's anniversary. And when I stumbled across this issue on eBay a few months ago, even though I never read it, I, I, I thought it would be the perfect thing to celebrate uh, both characters' anniversaries. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released August 19th, 1982. It's got a November 1982 cover date and 36 pages for the price of 60 cents. Um, our cover is by Jim Aparo and it shows Superboy busting in on a very surprised Batman and a supervillain who are either fighting or making the most awkward attempt at dancing the jitterbug ever. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the cover, Dave? I, I don't use this description very often, but it's cute. Because, like you said, they're in such a Batman and IQ are in such a weird position, and they're both surprised to see Superboy. It's it's actually really funny and cute. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty simple cover design wise. Uh, I think the main thing here is to draw the story, which is teaming Superboy and Batman, because the characters didn't exist at the same time. So you know, readers would be interested in knowing how they're teaming up. Um, and Jim Aparo draws excellent versions of both characters, especially Batman, obviously. Mm -hmm. so, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, no complaints from me there. Uh, turning inside, credits for our 17-page story are Mike W. Barr, writer, Jim Aparo, artist, Adrian Roy, colorist, and Len Wein, editor. 
and the story is titled, You Can Take the Boy Out of Smallville. In Gotham City, a trio of crooks is counting funds stolen from Superman's charity fund. They relish in the fact that Superman won't find them in Gotham, all the while being unknowingly watched by the Batman, who signals the Man of Steel for the pleasure of taking in the goons. At the WGBS building in Metropolis, a silhouetted form slips into a storeroom, casting off a pair of glasses and a suit, leaving behind only a sudden rush of wind as he exits the window. As Superman arrives in Gotham, he's struck by a strange glow, causing him to disappear, and in his place remains only a younger version of himself from 15 years prior. Despite the confusion, the Teen of Steel and the Dark Knight are able to take out the crooks in short order. Batman verifies that this is, in fact, a time-displaced teenage Superman, and fills in the Teen of Steel best he can about their friendship. While 15 years in the past, Superman is blocked from traveling through the time barrier. Superboy in the present finds he is similarly blocked. With Batman knowing he has to keep Superboy from asking about the Kents, the two heroes set out to find who put the barrier in place, starting with checking out sales records at a Metropolis Electronics wholesaler. Records there lead them to a shady electronics dealer. Batman pressures the owner for information, but is nearly jumped by a thug, saved only by the timely intervention of Superboy. Batman and Superboy go through the dealer's records, finding no clues, save for a notepad with a crudely drawn sketch of an eyeball and a pool cue, which leads Batman to believe that an old foe of Superman's might be involved. Superboy soars into the sky to try to find any hidden criminal headquarters. Coming up empty-handed, he decides to check in with Ma and Pa Kent, but is traumatized when he finds only their graves. He tearfully tells Batman to go on without him because he's no longer interested in being a superhero. But Batman tells him he can't give up. Jonathan and Martha taught him to be a hero, and he has to live up to their memory and make them proud. Tearfully, Superboy agrees and tells Batman he found nothing except a few places shielded with lead. Given that one of them is an apartment, the heroes decide to check it out, where they find Ira Quimby, a.k.a. the supervillain known as IQ, raving about how he sent Superman back to the prehistoric era, or so he thought, so that he might absorb all the power of the ongoing solar flares, supercharging his brain and making him the smartest person in the world. Realizing IQ must have miscalculated and sent Superman only 15 years into the past, which then brought Superboy into the present since the same person can't exist twice in the same time, Batman radios to Superboy. But the impetuous Teen of Steel doesn't hear Batman out, busting into IQ's lair only to get caught in a trap of green kryptonite. The Boy of Steel is able to break free of the radiation, rocketing into space. While Batman takes care of IQ, Superboy is able to outrace the wave of solar energy, absorbing, absorbing it himself before it reaches Earth. Returning to Metropolis, he explains he took Batman's advice to plan ahead, fashioning some lead-lined long underwear, which is what allowed him to be mostly unaffected by the kryptonite. Batman then shares with the Teen of Steel that people refer to himself and Superman as the world's finest team. And as far as he's concerned, that applies to the two of them as well. And with the barrier to the past gone, Superboy flies off, returning to his own time and Superman to the present. Confused, the Man of Steel asks Batman what's going on, and Batman replies it'll take some time to explain, but that the coffee is on him.
the end. This one was fun. It's it's not something that's going to go down in the history books, but it it was good and not great. Yeah. But at the same time, the art of the team up book is a lost art form. So at <laughs> worst, you know, you could pick up a Brave and the Bold and it was harmless if nothing else. It didn't have to be a multi mini series deal when something crossed over. So, yeah, you know, you not to get us off track before we even start, but you you say that that, that it's a lost art, and I agree. And I think part of that is because, you know, seeing heroes team up these days isn't anything out of the ordinary. <laughs> uh, we have so many crossovers, and um, you know, even even guest appearances that you know seeing. Batman and you know the Metal Men or, or whomever, it's it just it's it's not a treat anymore because it happens all the time. Yeah, it's Tuesday, right? Uh, but like you, I thought this was fun. Um, I don't want to say it wasn't what I was expecting because I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I, I liked it quite a bit. I, um, I think it might have benefited from a stronger villain because let's face it, IQ's not even really C list, <laughs> but, but the. Uh, the story seems more focused on showing Superboy, showing Superboy as a hero compared to that of Superman, or, or even the more seasoned Batman. Um, which which kind of leads into a question I had for you before we get into the page by page, and that is, how did you feel? Because I know you are a big fan of Superboy and, and, and mm-hmm. have read a lot of his Bronze Age stories. How did you feel about Superboy's portrayal in this book, especially in comparison to other stories from around this time? It it didn't go way off the reservation, but he was definitely a lot more emotional, almost whiny. And yeah, Superboy was not not above histronics. You know, he could he could cry with the best of them, and he did on several covers. But it was it was turned up a couple notches on the volume, but it didn't get to the point where I was completely annoyed with him. Hmm. To me, it seemed like he was really. <sighs> unusually new and, and, and not really knowing what to do and, and just not as experienced as Superman. And, and that makes sense, but from what I've read of his bronze, of Superboy in the Bronze Age, which admittedly isn't just a whole lot, it it seems like there, and, and even in the Legion stories, which I have, I've probably read more of, he always seemed to be every bit the competent hero that Superman is, or Will would be, would be I guess, um, but at the same time with those, we don't have the perspective of seeing him with someone like Batman because he's always by himself or with the Legion who are, you know, developmentally kind of on equal footing with him. So there's mm-hmm. kind of a different context. Yeah, it's hard to go up uh, side by side with the Batman. Yeah, yeah. Were you ready to get into the page by page? Yeah, whenever you are. All right. I really didn't have anything to say on the splash page other than that I. I Appreciated the fact that they tried to keep the identity of IQ a mystery, even though it was kind of blown on the cover, if you're yeah. familiar with the character. But he had, I think, only like five appearances before this. So it, it's possible that a lot of people reading it, you know, weren't familiar with who this guy in the pirate boots and the purple jacket are, what, are, is. I, I had forgotten him, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, page two. This was refreshing. Um seeing Batman signal Superman not because he needed help but just for the sheer delight of taking out these creeps who are stealing from a charity (laughs) Um, in the past few episodes I've been looking at Batman and Superman World's Finest which was a a 10 issue series that is set in the post-crisis continuity Um, and as you are well aware that Batman and Superman's relationship there is 
much different than than pre-crisis. And even though I'm a fan of both incarnations, it was just a lot of fun to take a break from that and look at this era when the two guys are actually friends again. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, in terms of the signaling, this sequence where the signal goes out to the WGBS building, Superman gets it and does a standard switcheroo in the storeroom, had me pumping my fist. Uh-huh. This is just not only is, oh, of course, it's a para, so it's gorgeous art, but it has a Fleischer feel to it. I and definitely agree. Yeah, totally love that sequence. Yeah, you, you can almost hear the uh, the John Williams music building that. Bum, 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 bum. Yep. Bum, 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 you know. And oddly, Bud Collier's voice. Yes. This is a job for Superman. <laughs> yes. Uh, back in the, uh, uh, I guess, the quote-unquote early days of the internet, when I was posting on a lot of comic book forums, this is before you know podcasting really became bigger, um, this fourth panel here was my avatar on one of those forums for a little bit. I, I, I had found it online somewhere. I had no idea what comic it was from, but, you know, it's just a really iconic shot through the uh, storeroom door, the window to the storeroom, and Superman is or Clark is in silhouette, and you can see him tearing off his suit, and the tie is flying. It's just a really, really iconic panel. Yeah, it's different from what you would expect, but you know exactly what you're looking at when exactly. you see it. Exactly, right. Um, I also liked on this page three that they bring up the uh, the sunspot activity with the with the newspaper headline. Just a nice little. Uh, kind of nod for later in the issue which i missed the first time through because i was excited about this (laughs) right yeah i missed it too until i I read it and then i was going back through it for my notes and and that's when i caught it uh but it's it's very subtle and you know they they didn't need to um make a big production out of it and because it would have turned into like a what's it called Uh, a checkoff's gun yeah so um page four while we're kind of talking about about the art the only real negative I'll say about it is that uh, Jim Aparo's Superman and Superboy don't really look all that different. No, I have the same note. His Superboy is a little, a little more slender and a little less muscular, but that's about it. Yeah, but that's that was a common trap. Yeah. you know when they when Superboy would appear, because there are ways to differentiate them. You mentioned the musculature, but the face could be a little bit more rounded versus Superman's square jawline. Mm-hmm. Little subtle differences that can make a huge difference. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez was the master at that. Mm-hmm. Praise be his name. Uh, I, I will say, though, that it's a really nice touch that we never – we see Superman only in about maybe five panels. And mm-hmm. anywhere we see him, he's never colored properly. He's always kind of in a, a, a shadow where he's grayed out or you see him from behind. It was just a really nice touch to help put the focus – artistically more on Superboy. Yeah. Um, There's part of me that wonders if that's part, that's kind of hiding the, the problem with the differentiation between the two. It could be. Cause like we're here on page four, really this, these two panels side by side is the only place we see Superman full figure until the very end of the story. And even there it's, it's kind of a shot from behind. So you don't really get a good look at him. He's got his face covered even. But if it's a cheat, it's a good one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would definitely agree. Yeah. Little little tricks to hide, you know, the – I hate to call it a flaw, but, uh, you know, the little flaws in, or, or weaknesses, I guess, in the, in the art. Yeah. Um, page five, the, the panel of Batman kicking the guy in the face is pretty awesome. 
Yes, Batman has. I mean, Jim Aparo's Batman is pretty much top of the heap for me. Oh yeah. And um, you know, far be it from me to question the greatness of of the Almighty Batman, but he might have been jumping the gun just a little bit to pull his mask off here. Just, <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> at this point, he didn't know if this was an imposter or a uh, Superman turned young or actually Superboy from the past, and he just whips his mask off and says, "Hi, I'm Bruce Wayne." So, and, and he I does. Can, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to mention he he mentions we've met before. Mm-hmm. There was an issue of Superboy, the first volume, Superboy 182, which would have been around 1972, where Superboy did meet Bruce Wayne. The problem, and of course, is a decade apart, but the problem I had with it was Superboy had a future device where he could see, oh, we're going to become allies one day and was pushing Bruce. And now he has no memory. Mm. It's the Haney memory, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Bob <laughs> Haney didn't write this issue. Um, yeah, I should cover that at some point on, on the show here. That, it was a good one. That, yeah. Because it, it was a younger Bruce, right? Mm-hmm. Just Teenage after his Bruce. parents were killed. Okay. So. Right. Spoiler, the Waynes die. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I will make a note and I will uh, cover that at some point down the road. Um, but I, I was going to say, I can understand him pulling off his mask if, you know, Clark was uh, freaking out and, and acting irrationally and Batman was just trying to calm him down by showing him a friendly face. But... Superboy seems pretty calm about the whole situation. He's he's more confused than anything. Uh, I don't. Know. I guess it's a minor point, but it it was it was a very quick way to establish the trust between the two characters. But it just didn't seem like a very smart or logical move for for the for the Almighty Batman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, page six. Kind of wish we would have seen a little more of Superman in the past. We only get three panels where he uh, he he can't stick around the Kent's house for obvious reasons and then he tries to fly to the, to the present and gets uh, whapped by the, the barrier the IQ is set up but at the same time I can't fault them for that because that's not the story they were telling that was the same thought process I went through because at first it felt a little bit like a cop out not going down to see Ma and Pa but it's, it's not the focus of the story and there's only 17 pages to work with so right. and I, I did like the narration um, it says he knows this room, its textures, its smells, and he knows the voice that calls to him now. To see them again would be more than he could bear. So he flees, flying past, flying fast enough to crack the time barrier. And I don't think that was, you know, the the loss of Jonathan Martha was something that continued to weigh on Clark even well into his adult years. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of my parents are still alive, so I can't speak to what it's like to to lose your parents, but. You know, it, it just seems like any time they were brought up, it was it was a very um, emotional time for Clark or Superman, and that's something I kind of liked about the character, even though it, it wasn't something they they really brought up a lot or, or dwelled on. Well, it was the the moment he realized his powers can't solve anything or right. everything. So I should say not anything. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> he, he can't he can't fight everything. Right, there are things that are just going to happen, and he has to accept that. He's doing a lot, but he's not, you know, omnipotent. He can't be everywhere. Right. And it's a huge lesson for a character like Superman to learn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, for yeah. Definitely agree with that. Um, for 7 through 11, really my only notes for these pages are, are kind of what we talked about earlier in regards to um, Superboy seemingly being portrayed as more in, inexperienced. Um, it, it is interesting, though, seeing Superboy who 
or seeing a Superboy who is learning to use his powers and is more inexperienced. Um, in the 40 years of stories we got of the Earth-1 Superboy, you know, like I said, he did usually come off as a mostly formed hero. So seeing him, um, you know, he's not misbehaving or, or acting impetuously, um, but he's maybe not going about things the, the exact right way because he is still learning. And then Batman being the more seasoned hero kind of guides him, which is interesting. Well, the things he's doing, he's not, he's not showing a lack of competence, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a lack of confidence. And to counter your question about Superboy, do you think, do you think Batman is taking the right tech? Cause his intentions, I'm not questioning, but every now and then I'm like, man, simmer down a little. <laughs> um, he, he does kind of jump on him very quickly. Um, but then like you, you brought up earlier, he does get a little whiny really quickly as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think Batman realizes what Superboy is ultimately capable of because he knows for a fact what he's capable of because he, he hangs out with Superman. So I, I don't know, maybe a little bit, but you know, not, not overly so. Yeah, I think his intention, I mean, I'm, I never question the intention because he's really trying, the, the advice he's giving is sound, but mm-hmm. it could be given a little bit more tactfully. Right. And of course, as we find out at the end of the issue, Superboy isn't going to remember any of this, so what, yeah. what good it's going <laughs> to do is beyond me. But uh, My next note's on page 12. Did you have anything before then? No. Okay. Uh, page 12, it it led to my favorite moment in the story, which we'll get to in a minute. But Superboy wanting to find out the Kent, or wanting to find out what the Kents are up to, while it makes complete sense, given his time and experiences with the Legion, even at this stage, he should know the inherent dangers and problems in learning too much about the future. Yeah, true. That's a valid point. Though the Legion were kind enough to mostly wipe his memory. Right. But still, you know. I think the lessons of why they would wipe his memory every time he would go to the future, because they didn't completely wipe um, his entire experience with them. Right? Just so, yes, he, he well, Haney memory. <laughs> <laughs> he would keep, of course, who who he was hanging out with, yeah. that the Legion existed, but certain specifics about his future they would normally wipe out. Right, but it did lead to my favorite moment on page thirteen, where. Batman is giving Superboy a kind of tough love speech about, you know, living up to what, what his parents taught him and so on. And Superboy is upset, obviously, at just learning that his parents are dead. And there's this moment in panel four where Batman puts his arm around Superboy and says, Come on, son, make them proud of you. Believe me, I know it's hard, but it's worth it. And that was such an emotional punch in the gut. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, as I've mentioned a few times on the show, mostly in recent episodes, I guess, where I've been talking about the post-crisis versions. But it's really true in all incarnations. But Superman and Batman don't have a lot in common. They're different types of heroes. They had different lives growing up. They had different backgrounds and different circumstances and, and even different social circles. And that's only magnified when you take a teenage Superman and an adult Batman. So I love that this moment of trauma for Clark and the tragedy of Bruce's past basically becomes something that allows them to not only connect, but allows Batman to kind of 
channel his own pain into helping Clark in a in a fatherly or um, mentorial type of way, like he did with Robin. And this this is an aspect of Batman I miss mm-hmm. that he can be personable and relate on an emotional level without being prodded too much. Right. Because the post-crisis Batman was very closed in, and this Batman, sure, he was stoic, but he would open up. He would be a friend when needed, and I I do miss that aspect of him. And I will say, with the New 52, they do seem to have lightened up on that a little bit again. Mm -hmm. It's still not what what it is here, but it is a little bit softer than, I would say, the average of, of... the post-crisis depiction. Yes. Thank um, you. Page 14, they, they referenced the last appearance of IQ, which was in DC Comics Presents number four. And I bring that up only because Russell Bragg covered it on his <laughs> DC Comics Presents show in episode four. So go check that out if you want to hear more about IQ. And he teamed up with the Metal Men. Correct. Was that the Metal Men? Okay. Yep. And the Metal Men are always fun except when you're reading them by themselves. Uh, <laughs> page page 15. Very convenient that IQ set up this, uh, what he called a prosaic trap involving kryptonite, just in case Superman, who he thought was millions of years in the past, showed up. Yes, after monologuing like he's Johnny Carson. <laughs> Laying out his entire plan. I mean, within, you almost... Within a shot of Batman. Yeah. Convenient. You almost hear Ed McMahon's laugh in the background. <laughs> I'll have to drop a sound clip into my synopsis. <laughs> um, so that's the next thing I have is on page 17 at the end of the story, and I, I brought this up earlier. Uh, why won't Superboy remember any of this? I had the same question. Did Was there a bat roofie involved? <laughs> oh, that's awkward. Yeah. Because um, time travel doesn't wipe your memory. I mean, it's like you said, it's Saturn Girl that, that erases his memory with the Legion, so. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Unless. I, it was never stated anywhere. Batman doesn't understand how the time barrier is working. As far. I mean, it's 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 a not a natural phenomenon. Right. Unless he's somehow, by beating IQ, gotten some of the, the information off panel. Well, Which could be. It would be a fine no prize, but. Well, yeah, on the, on the previous page, he, he puts it together that, that IQ had – well, no, he just says that he sent Superman to the past. Mm-hmm. He doesn't put up the, the – he doesn't bring up the, the barrier. Hmm. Anyway. Haney uh, memory. Haney memory. <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've coined a new phrase. Yes. Haney memory. Uh, but the last note I had was that I, I like the idea of Superman and Batman being friends and going for coffee. Yes. Even though the – uh, how it should have ended, folks, have made it into kind of a uh, an internet meme or a joke. But well, there was, um, you know, that that has been used before in the '90s Justice Society of America with Mike Parabek art. Mm-hmm. You saw Jay and Alan going for coffee, and it's it's something that's missing. Just normal downtime for heroes. There is the human side to them, and yeah, I like the idea of them actually sitting in costume in some little greasy spoon. Just talking mm-hmm. and going over the day. Or even in the Batcave. You yeah. know, just hanging out, drinking coffee. Because I, I, I think it would be difficult for them to go to a uh, a greasy spoon dressed as Batman and Superman. But Although that would make for a fun comic. Yes. <laughs> uh, so do you have anything else on this? The only thing that stood out, and it's because of a, a rant Andrew Leyland did on uh, Hey Kids Comics when he was covering Man of Steel. 
he talked about Clark in the Byrne era playing football and that Jonathan Kent would normally not allow it. And Clark makes a reference on page 16 to, you know, if only Clark Kent could catch pop flies that easy, but that'd be showing off. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think that bridges just how different the post-crisis Superman was and kind of in a, in a way proves Andy's point. Right. That uh, uh, Jonathan Kent normally would not allow that. He would have instilled some sort of humility. But it just it, it made me think of that, and I wanted to put it to you that what did you think of Clark playing football post crisis versus the Superboy we see here? Oh, see, it, it's it's difficult for me to be impartial about Man of Steel because I came into comic books with the post crisis incarnation of the character. I didn't come in with Man of Steel. I came in much later, but but still, that was quote unquote my Superman. And it still is to a degree for a long time, so it's it's mm-hmm. difficult for me to be impartial about it. But you know, I, I've never really minded it. But I think once he learns that you know he is different, he does have all these extra abilities that I think he needs to back off and not not continue to play, which is kind of what they showed in the, in the, in the series. Yeah, but but just. That shows a big difference between the Clark we meet in Man of Steel and sort of the Clark who's been saddled with the Superboy moniker and knows kind of where he's going. Right. Well, that you know, pre-crisis, he knew from very, very young age that he was Kryptonian and, and had all these and, – and why he had the abilities he does. Where post-crisis, he didn't learn until, you know, long after high school. So Yeah. He was in, probably in his 20s at that point. Right. Uh, Well, if you don't have anything else, I think we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back to talk about what else is in the issue and what else is on the stands. This is a job for Superman. Up, Up, and Away, the weekly podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. Join me, Mario Benessi, as I explore every aspect of the Man of Steel's history, from comics and movies to TV, radio, and more. It's all here on Up, Up, and Away. For more information, visit upupandawaypodcast.tumblr.com and upupandaway.podomatic.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <clears throat> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? If you'd like to read this, well, unfortunately, you'll have to track down the original issue because, like far too many Bronze Age stories, it has never been reprinted. 
The only other feature in the book is a six-page nemesis story by Carrie Burkett and Dan Spiegel. Did you read that, Dave? I, I skimmed it. <laughs> it was hard to get into. <laughs> I, I didn't read it. I, I will before I file the book away in the long box, but I didn't for the show here because it's it's nemesis and no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do know, however, this is the last nemesis strip in the book, um, the, the last backup strip. In the next issue of Braving the Bold, it's a full uh, book-length team-up between Batman and Nemesis. And then the character di- character disappears, I think, until after Crisis, because they bring yeah. him back in um, Suicide Squad in the late 80s. But, uh, so you want to look at ads? Yeah. We'll All take right. a quick skim. Most of them are pretty standard. Yeah. I mean, the inside front cover is an ad for Lego uh, building blocks, not the Lego video game. Back when you could build whatever you wanted with Lego. Uh, you're building for real. <laughs> Bubble yum ads, as per usual. Yeah. Grit, the greatest Fagan operation on the planet. <laughs> Pyramid schemes for kids. <laughs> uh, and then we have a. Uh, it's like a. It's a game page, but it's for Tootsie Rolls. It's advertising, not, not, not Tootsie Rolls, lifesavers. Yeah. But you, have, you can play a little game where you can uh, do something. I don't know. I don't. I didn't. I didn't look at it too yeah. closely. And then we have Dave's favorite part of the book. You want to uh, talk about this? It's a full insert. It uses the same paper stock as the cover. So when trying to read the book, halfway through you run into this thing. The first, it's basically three fourths of it is Atari, uh, uh-huh. a version of a, a Pac-Man for Atari, which was substandard to the arcade version. Uh, then we have Haunted House. I don't remember this song. I remember Super Breakout. But Haunted House is not familiar to me. I never had an Atari when I was a kid. I, I never had at a one, friend's house a time or two, but mostly exactly, Frogger. Yeah. I had, oh, Frogger's on the back page. Hear my lament with Frogger. <laughs> and then, yeah, Super Breakout, which is probably one of the least interesting games you can think of. But finally, Camelot 3000. I'm really glad that we interrupted my story for Camelot 3000. Well, what I find interesting is, you know, Atari shelled out a lot of money for this insert. Mm-hmm. But apparently they could only pay for three-fourths of the insert because <laughs> the back of it has to be the house ad. And it may have been part of the contract to put the house ad in. Maybe. Because they are on the back. Yeah. Well, no. That's not an Atari ad. We'll get to that. But that's Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Which uh, one? The back cover. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what, what was Super Breakout? Was that? It's, I never played that. It's usually you find it on older cell phones where a ball is flung at a brick wall. You try to crack all the way through. Oh, it bounces back, kind of oh, like pong. Okay. Yeah, it's like handball but more destructive. And that was advanced video game technology in 1982. So there you yes, go. it was. Uh, but next up, we have an ad for Dungeons and Dragons Adventure, which is oh, I guess it's just a typical D and D card game. Yep, lame. We have an ad for Sergeant Rock action figures, which are probably pretty cool, I guess. If you like, not Sergeant as Rock. not as cool as you think. <laughs> Rimco was known for being lower quality. They did the Warlord figures, which mm. were made to look like oh, He-Man. I talked about those in a previous episode. Yeah, yeah, and they also made figures out of the Mighty Crusaders, which I remember. Really? Yeah, mm. the Archie characters who later got picked up for Impact, and those characters. It, Okay, it was bad quality, but they are a sentimental place in my heart. Because where else were you going to get a figure of the comet? Right. Hmm. This ad does have some Joe Kubert art, which is pretty nice. 
yeah, too bad the figures don't support that. <laughs> and we've got a hodgepodge ad, a house ad. DC is on the move, which advertises Camelot 3000, Arian, Lord of Atlantis, Supergirl, and Blackhawk. All soon to be canceled. Mm-hmm. They are... Supergirl lasted a couple years. Yeah. Until the movie killed it. Yes. <laughs> that. Yeah. And we have the mailbag, which I didn't read because they're talking about issues that I haven't read. And we have an ad for... Tough Wheels. Tough Wheels. They're like Hot Wheels, I suppose. Yep. For, but cheaper. They're from Kidco, which sounds like <laughs> Remco, I'm just saying. <laughs> and then the back is for the board game version of Frogger. It's, it's a video game. It is oh, for it the really? Atari. It's just third party. Oh, so Atari proper oh, okay. probably paid for the insert, and then Frogger, the Parker Brothers people, probably paid for an extra ad. Oh, okay. See, we in a, in a previous issue that I looked at very early in the show, we had an ad for board game versions of arcade games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, Pac-Man. Yeah. Somehow the magic was gone. Frogger still vexes me. I, I, I thought as an adult, because we have an arcade here where you pay five bucks at the door and play all you want. Wow. And I thought my eye-hand coordination would have developed since I was a wee lad. <laughs> Turns out, no. It's still just as frustrating as ever. Uh, you still to, not quite the, the fury that I felt with Spy Hunter, so. You need to play more video games. That's, that's yes. all there is to it. <laughs> uh, but now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And surprisingly, DC didn't have that many books out this month. Um, looks like, I guess there's four, more than four rows, but still I was expecting to see a lot longer list of books. Uh, I guess I'm spoiled by modern day. Yeah, this was after the implosion, or yeah. right before. No, it would be post-implosion, because it's in the 80s. So what, what jumps out at, he- at you here on the list? Adventure Comics. This was a time when it became a digest, mostly reprinting a lot of Legion stuff. Uh, you would see Plastic Man in there. These were fantastic. Were they? They, they were really color, good buys. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They were like the Archie Digests. And it was full color. It's where I met a lot of characters. It's where I learned about Jimmy Olsen and the Legion. So, sentimental for me. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, wait, the first thing I see is Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, number one, with a beautiful rich buckler cover of supergirl soaring into the air just it's poster worthy yes i it's not my favorite costume but yeah the the composition is great the cityscape behind her is gorgeous yeah. i don't know who colored that but that's fantastic and i just noticed that masters of the universe has a backup feature hmm. Have I read oh that? i don't it was reprinted from arak so apparently this is, I guess, an ad or a short ad that was running through the books. Okay. Because I see it's in all of them. Okay. Hmm. We didn't get it. That's <laughs> because they had to tell us about Pac-Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I have said before, maybe not on this show, but I'm a big fan of the, the puffy sleeves and hot pants Supergirl costume. So. It's not for everybody, but I don't, ju- I don't judge. <laughs> I'm just saying it's... It's it, it at least differentiated her from Superman a bit. Yeah. But I like yeah, we, the, the no, nobody wants to see a Superman in hot pants. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I, I like the headband version. I, I don't want to see it. So. Uh, but next up is DC Comics presents number 51, which teams Superman and the Atom. And is this one of them one of the issues you looked at? I didn't on? get to I didn't get to this one, no. Okay. 
I did do an Adam story, but this is not the one. Oh. And it ended up being my favorite story of the bunch. Okay. And this this issue also has the Man of Steel backup. Yes. Or the Man of Steel. Masters of the Universe. Um, let's see. Oh, X-Men and Teen, New Teen Titans. Oh, wow. I haven't read that in years. Yeah, this was this was a big, big deal. Because those were the two biggest selling books on the planet at that time. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I know Darkseid was in it. Man, it, it, like you said, I haven't read it for years myself. It was Darkseid and the Phoenix. Yes. Um, I, I've never read the original. I have it in the... In, in the early 90s, DC and Marvel put out a trade of the four uh, crossovers from the Bronze Age. The two Superman, Spider-Man, uh, Batman and the Hulk, and then this one. And that's where, that's the only place I've read it. Um, but it, it is notable for being the final crossover they would do for 12 years until Batman and the Punisher in 94. And to date, that's the longest the two companies have gone without a team-up, some kind of team-up, since they started with Superman and Spider-Man. But that's probably going to be broken soon because it's, that's been, what I was thinking. it's been like 11 years since JLA Avengers and the two companies, you know, they can't play ball with, with one another these days, so it's leaving money on the table. <laughs> uh, Legion of Superheroes number 293 is part of the Great Darkness Saga. It's got a pretty cool cover with the logo taking up the entire uh, height of the book, and it's crumbling, and the heroes are scattered about. What else do you see? Let's take a look. Oh, Night Force. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, the Batman books, both Detective and Batman, stand out because they have the logo that I'm more familiar with. And this was was during – was this when Gene Colan was – no, Don Newton. Okay. Because I knew Gene Colan was on Detective at some time around this period. Jerry Conway, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. But that this was a one of the times I look back on Batman and I smile. Okay. It's not a great time, but it was a consistent month-to-month read. And it's kind of part of my retro pull list. I'm a little bit further down the line, but I'm finding that the structure of the books was – because you read – Batman and then you went and read Detective and they just played off of each other in the ways that Superman books would later. Hmm. Where action and Superman were taking two different directions. Hmm. I need to read more Bronze Age Batman because I really like that take on the character. Mm-hmm. When I, I guess when I say Bronze Age, I, sh- I should really specify like early 80s Batman because I really like that take on the character. It yeah. reminds me of the superpowers, you know. Yeah. The, Unfor- un- unfortunately, the bat the the Back issues are more expensive yeah. than some of the others that you would find. Yeah, and that's why I haven't read much of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the last thing I see is Justice League of America number 208 and All-Star Squadron number 15, which were both part of this year's annual JLA-JSA crossover. So, Oh, and I guess I should mention World's Finest Comics number 285, since this is a Superman and Batman podcast. And it's got a really neat Frank Miller cover which is something I never really thought I would say. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be talking about that in a future episode, no doubt. That is a sharp Frank Miller cover for both of those characters and mm-hmm. not not the type of cover you'd expect from him. No. Of course, this is still when he's just about to come off Daredevil, so. Which you know something about. A little bit. <laughs> uh, well, Dave, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking to me about Superboy and Batman. Uh, you'll have to come back and, and talk Superman and Batman at some point. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you invited me. Why don't you tell the folks all the places they can find you across the internet? Yes, uh, this is coming out in November, right? End of November, yes. End of November. 
Well, uh, as of January 1st, Dave's Daredevil podcast about, well, Daredevil will be returning with episode 37 going forward. And, of course, I'm always at the Legion of Super Bloggers, which is a group blog about the Legion of Superheroes. It's all right in the title lately. But you can find that at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. And Dave's Daredevil podcast is at the appropriately named daredevilpodcast.com. I want to tell you I'm very excited that Dave's Daredevil Daredevil. Dave's Daredevil podcast is coming back because I was yes. really enjoying what you were doing over there. And I was enjoying it too. It was just time got to me and I'm building up a good backlog. And at one point you're going to see me return to the classic Daredevil for a while. Cool. And I've really been enjoying the Legion blog. Um, it's, it, I don't have a lot of time like during the week to visit blogs and such, but the Legion blog has become a definite uh, stop on my days off, and I enjoy seeing the the posts pop up in my Facebook feed as the week goes on because it gives me a uh, kind of a sneak preview of what I'll be able to read on my day off later in the week. But a lot of good voices there, so yes, yeah. I'm just a minor force. I just do some toy reviews. So <laughs> well, you're, the the group of you are covering various aspects of the legion it's not just bronze age or just silver age or just toys you know you're you're covering kind of the whole uh spectrum of the characters and that that's that that's what makes a really good blog and a really interesting blog yeah and soon you will actually see me covering the post infinite crisis era which includes superman and the legion so wade stuff the wade i no, just past that starting with the justice league yeah oh starting with the The lightning saga lightning saga that's right and the, the Levitt's post-Infinite Crisis stuff in, in Legion of Superheroes volume, whichever it is. I was reading that. I dropped it just like right before they announced Flashpoint. <laughs> so I missed like the last couple issues of that, which I then went and picked up in the back issue bins. But And I, did, I haven't read any of the post, post-Flashpoint stuff. But it's, It was a good time for the Legion. Yeah, nice to have Levitt's back. And there was some interesting stuff that I, I remember enjoying the Lightning Saga. Quite, yeah. quite a bit. But. Once you once you got through it and wrapped your head around what had just happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's it for this episode. Thanks to all of you for listening. Dave, thanks again for coming on. And I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. You're growing taller A little smarter And one day you're gonna leave listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. 
I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. song for this episode was When I Was Younger by Liz Lawrence from her 2013 album Bedroom Hero. If you like this song or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting twotruefreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to amazon.com. Buy an mp3 or physical copy of the song and Two True Freaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you be getting good tunes, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting. And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra. <laughs>